Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Support for all the books comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous. Did they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbetto that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mint steepers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness make Talenti gelato and sorbetto the greatest? You be the judge. But yes, it does make them the greatest. They're also the judge. Talenti, the delicious is in the details. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 126, and today we are talking about books being released on September 26, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hi, I got really tripped up there because I had to say 26 twice, and I was like, wait, did I repeat that number correctly? (laughs) (laughs) It's so is, easy to trip me up. Look at well, something these, shiny. Sometimes we forget to change dates or like, especially on the Book Riot podcast um, agenda, I will forget to change the dates or like the suffix on a thing. And I have done intros where I've been like, it's, it's October 24th. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Oh yeah, it's great. You know, we like to play with time. It's what is, what's the thing from Dr. Who? <sighs> Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I cannot believe that this is already the last show in September. Yeah, no, it's maybe because it's 85 degrees here in Maine and pretty much the same where you are right now. Mm -hmm. After like a couple of weeks ago when the heat was kicking on at night here. It's ridiculous. Who knows what it is. I'm against it. And I'm going to New York for the week. Um, By the time you're listening to this show, I will be in New York for work. And I was so looking forward to like a gorgeous fall in New York and like sitting in Central Park reading a book for a couple of hours. And that's just not going to happen unless it's really sweaty. So I would like... I would like to object, but I would really like to hear about about books. Tell me about this week. Okay. Well, I just want to let listeners know, um, give them a a warning uh, for this first book that I'm going to talk about. There is uh, graphic violence and and it's it's about a murder. So it is it is very graphic, um, but it's so fantastic. And that first book, I think I might have talked about this on the preview show. It is After the Eclipse, A Mother's Murder, A Daughter's Search by Sarah Perry. Now, you're probably saying, Sarah Perry, that sounds very familiar. This is not the same Sarah Perry who wrote The Essex Serpent, which came out last year. Excellent book, by the way. Check it out. Not the same Sarah Perry. This is actually Sarah Perry. uh, She's from Maine. And uh, in 1994, her mother was murdered, her mother Crystal. Uh, She was only 12 years old at the time, Sarah was. And she was in her house. She heard a noise, she went out in the kitchen, and she found her mother's body on the floor. Uh, escaped from the house, like, she didn't know if the killer was still there. Um, she didn't know if her mother was dead at that time, you know, she, she escaped and she ran and she called somebody and, you know, the, the police came, but they didn't find who did it. Um, and so she had to sort of 
live with the knowledge that the killer was still out there. Was he going to come back for her? I mean, she was very young at the time. You know, she was terrified. Her family was terrified for her. Like, did she see him? She thought she saw something when she was escaping. Um, she, she doesn't have a real relationship with her father. There were some problems there. So she's basically, she's on her own now. She's She shuffles around uh, in her mother's family. Um, and as she grows, you know, she wants to learn more about her mother and, you know, what happened. And she kind of goes back to Maine and, and looks at it again. Um, but it's this is really like a story about the victim. It's a story about her mother, Crystal. Um, because so many books are about the killers, and this is actually about her mom. Um, I, I, I'm not spoiling anything, you know, by telling you that 12 years later, uh, she received a phone call. You know, it's 2006 now, and they said, we caught the man who killed your mother. Um, and so she had to, to revisit the thing, to revisit the murder all over again. Um, and it's just so fascinating, like the trial and everything that went on. Um, and it's this is sort of like a love letter from a daughter to her mom, like throughout the years, like how how she did, how she felt growing up, um, how how losing her mother changed her life. Um, all the, the wonderful things that people had to say about her mother. You know, she interviewed all of her friends. Um, she really wants people to see the victim, not the killer. Like so many people can name like Ted Bundy and, and Jeffrey Dahmer, but like not many people can name their victims. And she really wants this to be about her mom. Um, it's sort of like a fact of the body in that the writing is absolutely fantastic, but the subject matter is really difficult. So, you know, be kind to yourself. If you need to take a break when you're reading it, set it down, you know, but it is worth reading. It's really, really fantastic. It's called After the Eclipse by Sarah Perry. Right. Not sure that I'm tough enough for that one. Um, but I am happy to share my first pick of the week, which has so much soul and humor and just really bonkers good writing because it's by James McBride. It's called Five Carat Soul. It's a new collection of short stories and none of them have ever been published before. You know, sometimes you pick up a short story collection and it's like this one appeared in the Best American Short Stories and this other one got published online somewhere or in the New Yorker and it's like some new material, some repeat material. And that's fine. Like that's just kind of how the world of short stories works. It, it is pretty special, especially from someone of James McBride's caliber to get a collection where everything is fresh. Um, the first piece in this collection just blew me away. It was so much fun. Um, it's about an antiques dealer who uh, is chasing like the holy grail of antiques, which is this toy, this toy train that was commissioned by General Robert E. Lee for his son. And so there's one of these, like, which makes it, of course, incredibly rare. And it's like rumored that this thing exists, but among toy collectors, nobody has ever really, no one has like seen it or put their hands on it or really had any success trying to track it down. It's one of those things that the main character of the story, like if he could get this, this toy train, he could no doubt find a buyer for it, someone with a ton of money who just wants to own something that's rare and valuable. And like he'd be set for life. And he sees a photo that seems like he's looking through a new client's portfolio and he's like, what is this? Uh, and he traces it back and discovers that this one-of-a-kind toy train is living in the home of a black minister in Queens. Uh, the minister also, like, he works at a factory on the night shift. He is a janitor at a music club in New York. And he's also this sort of, like 
kind of a minister, has a church, sort of, but also just preaches all the time. And his wife says things to the toy collector, like, you can't give us any money. You know, we work for God. Um, And one of the, like, it has this very, this feeling of sort of being a, like a, a Southern preacher who's just off doing his own thing, hoping to tell the good word um, that we're not talking about like an organized religion minister in this sense. Um, And he is a just very like this, that main character, he's very complex. Um, And it's, it's like 50 pages. It's not the shortest short story in the world. And usually those drive me bonkers, but I loved this entire one. The other collections in the story or the other stories in the collection, it's Monday, <laughs> um, uh, do things like draw together accounts of all the members of a band called the Five Carat Soul Bottom Bone Band, uh, which of course is where the book takes its title from. And we get little like a glimpse into each one of their lives and how they come together in this band. In another story about bunch of strangers are, you know, in a very unique situation that I don't want to spoil. Um, Another story imagines the president, not the current president, um, drawing, sort of making big decisions about about things in his life as a president based on a conversation that he has overheard. Um, And there are just these rich moments of observation in this book that it feels like you're just reading a great story. These are not short stories that are like grounded in just those little vignettes. These are short stories that are really grounded, like richly in place and in their characters and in trying to understand who these people are. Um, but there are just gorgeous sentences, such lovely and funny observations. James McBride is a very serious writer, but he's also very, very funny. And it comes through in these characters' voices in a lot of ways. They're just, they're fun to spend time with. They're also very sharp. Um, There's a little, you know, sort of cultural criticism built in. McBride is a black writer. Many of his characters are black or dealing with issues of race. And so you come across that as well. But it's just beautifully done. This is masterwork by a master writer. um, And I really, really loved it. So it's Five Carat Soul, a new collection of short stories by James McBride. I've never met James McBride and but I have read some of his books and I've read some interviews with him and he just seems like he would be really fun to hang out with. Yeah, he does. I like to imagine um like now after having done that interview with Walter Mosley at Book Riot Live last year, I kind of love the idea of like Walter Mosley and James McBride on stage together to talk about things cuz they Oh yeah. like they have kind of similar senses of humor, I think, in their work, but they, they go but they go about it very differently. Um, it would be really, really fascinating. Somebody make that happen. Yes. Legally. <laughs> Don't kidnap James McBride <laughs> and Walter Mosley and just bring them to us. Yeah. We appreciate it, but no thank you. <laughs> would you like to hear about our first sponsor before we roll on? Yes, please. All right. Third Love is back this week. We all know because we've been talking about Third Love literally for years now that bra shopping is a total drag. I hate the parts where you have to try on a million things to get to the correct size. I hate the parts where someone who's like 19 is knocking on the dressing room door calling me sweetie asking how it's going. And so I love that Third Love lets you skip the hassle, find a perfect fitting bra in just a few minutes. If that sounds good to you, you should definitely check out Third Love. They have a Fit Finder quiz online where you just answer a few questions about your body type and your, you know, sizing, your uh, measurements, and they recommend the bras that are right for your size and your body shape, uh, which I think is super helpful, that last element. 
I've used the Fit Finder. I, I, it really is nice that they're like, here are all the bras we have in your size. But based on what we know about your body shape, these are the ones that are most likely to be comfortable and to look nice on you. It helps narrow that down. Um, Third Love also is obsessed with finding you the perfect fit. So they are the only lingerie brand that offers bras in half cup sizes, which also is really awesome. Difficult to find because nobody else does it. And best of all, you can try one of Third Love's amazingly comfortable bras free for 30 days. You're just going to pay $2.99 for shipping. So you can really try the bra. We've talked about this before. You cut the tag off, you wash it, you wear it for all the things that you wear a bra for. You know, go to work, go out to drinks with friends. Maybe you're traveling and you need a comfortable bra for those long flights. Whatever it is, Wear it, wash it, live with the bra for 30 days. If it's not your favorite, no problem. You can return it or exchange it for free. If it is your favorite, you hold on to it and they'll charge your card. They will charge your card. So go to thirdlove.com slash books to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. That is thirdlove.com slash books to try your new favorite bra for free. Awesome. Okay. Yes, it is awesome. Everyone should try that. I have no segue. I really don't know how to to go from bras to... (laughs) To my next book, um, <laughs> which is called Starfish. So, yeah, I got nothing. Um, but my next book is a really powerful, wonderful novel called Starfish. It's by Akimi Don Bowman. It's about a 17-year-old girl named Kiko. She lives in Nebraska. She's about to graduate high school. She's very shy, and she has very low self-esteem. And most of that reason is because her mom is an emotionally manipulative narcissist. I mean, her mom is awful. She's just, she's completely self-involved. She doesn't really pay any attention to the kids unless it serves her. She talks all the time about how beautiful she is, how she used to be beautiful, how she used to be popular. She sits with Kiko and like points out all the girls in her class that are prettier than her. When, you know, she gives her like uh, backhanded compliments, like, you know, how she looks nice. And even though like her face is looking rounder today, or she's looking like she's put on weight or she's, she's a monster. Like this woman is an absolute monster. Um, and it makes Kiko feel awful because, you know, moms are supposed to be supportive and love you. And, you know, like everyone seems to think like her mom is like this nice person and, and Kiko doesn't think that. So like, is she going crazy? Like, is it actually her, you know? But Kiko is this really amazing artist. She loves to draw and paint. She's hoping to get into art school. She's applied to the art school that she's really interested in attending. Um, And so, like, she's just trying to get through the end of her senior year. She's waiting to hear back from this art school. Uh, Kiko's parents are divorced, and Kiko believes it's her fault because when she was young, uh, she had experienced something with her mother's brother who was living at the house at the time. Um, that made her very uncomfortable, and her mother told her that it was, you know, Kiko was imagining it. It was, you know, um, it, it was all in her head, and it didn't happen, and she chose her brother's side over Kiko, and Kiko believes that her father left because her mother told him what had happened between Kiko and her uncle, and, and it made him upset, and he didn't want to be there anymore. So she's living with this horrible guilt. Um, and Kiko's mom is white, and her dad is Japanese, and she looks just like her dad, And she goes to school in Nebraska, so every day she's dealing with casual racism where, like, you know, high school guys tell her, like, oh, they don't want to date girls that look like her, no offense, uh, meaning, you know, Asian. So she's she's not, she hasn't had a great childhood, um, but she's clinging to the idea of going to art school. And then she finds out she didn't get accepted. Not only did she not get accepted, her mother's brother is moving back into the house. Um, And so she just thinks, like, her life is over. And then... 
her old friend Jamie comes back to town. Jamie grew up next door. They were best friends, and when Kiko was 11, they he moved away. And she, he's back now. He's visiting his cousin who's graduating with Kiko, and they become very close again. And she realizes, like, she really has a chance to break free from her mother and be happy because Jamie is very supportive of her. And she's she's really just thrilled with their relationship. It's just it's a really important story about self esteem and how family is a choice, not an obligation. Like people and children especially need to understand. Like sometimes parents make mistakes. Also, parents just not everyone was meant to be a parent. You know, sometimes parents are bad. And in this instance, her mom really is the big bad. I mean, she, this woman is a nightmare. Um, it's just so well-written and so important. It's called Starfish, and it's by Akimi Don Bowman. That sounds awesome. Um, kind of a segue into my next one is that notion of your family being chosen. Um, and my next pick is The Comfort Food Diaries, My Quest for the Perfect Dish to Mend a Broken Heart by Emily Nunn. Um, she had just lost her brother and she was going through a terrible breakup with her fiance and she had been evicted from the apartment that she shared with her fiance when one night she had like a few too many glasses of wine, wrote a really big Facebook post, woke up the next morning like, oh my God, what have I done? Um, but there were a bunch of her friends on her Facebook post inviting her come visit like come visit let me cook you a meal we will get you better and she decided to take her friends up on it so she starts traveling across the country cooking and eating with friends and relatives and going back to like the scenes of her childhood and her upbringing um which is in the South, and she had sort of a dysfunctional Southern upbringing that has like shades of Dorothy Allison to it. Um, but just traveling the country, eating food, being with people that she loves, and trying to put herself back together. And this is the memoir of that experience. So it's like part travelogue, part love letter to cooking. It reminded me a lot of Ruth Reichel, Comfort Me with Apples, um, and Tender at the Bone, which is her first memoir about um, sort of what food meant in her life. But it also has shades of that, like, go out into the world to find yourself memoir, um, a little bit maybe like Eat, Pray, Love, but not nearly as, uh, like, self-indulgent <laughs> um, as I would say Eat, Pray, Love is. Um and it's wonderful if you like travel and you like food, and especially like if, like me, your kitchen is the center and the heart of your home and the place where people come and where you want to be with people um, to connect and share. I think you'll really find a lot to love in it. Um, Lib, I can't remember the title. What is Kate Christensen's food memoir? There's um. Oh no! Oh it's, no! Uh, blue something plate special. about a moose. Oh no! Okay. Blue. What am I thinking? Is now? it blue? Yeah, I don't blue know. Blue plate special. Then... You're right. <laughs> It also reminded me of that. It takes two to do this show sometimes, all the time, <laughs> actually. Um, oh, how to, I cook, just really... how to Cook a Moose. Yeah, that's her other oh, food yeah. memoir. Okay. okay, I wasn't Great. wrong. I was like, what she are we talking two. about moose? <laughs> I only knew of Blue Plate Special. Anyway, I think that Comfort Food Diary sort of belongs on the shelf with those other books about what food means in our lives, especially in our family lives, um, and how travel and food are so closely connected. So like she comes to Virginia, she eats a ham biscuit, um, she is visiting family and she eats lemon cake that her grandma made. It's really about comfort food and the book contains recipes for a ton, like a couple dozen of the meals that Emily Nunn really says save her life or brought her back to life after the multiple devastations. It has moments of sort of tiptoeing up to like Cheryl Strayed levels of 
realness. It's also really funny. Um, and I believe that food and family can bring you back, um, especially when we're talking about the family that you choose. So this really resonated for me. Again, it's The Comfort Food Diaries, My Quest for the Perfect Dish to Mend a Broken Heart by Emily Nunn. I don't think I've told you this yet, but um, I've started cooking. <gasps> it's amazing. It's like It is, isn't it? It's like science that you make and put in your mouth. It is. It's like magic science. Yeah. Yeah. My boyfriend and I have decided to to start cooking things because we eat way too much takeout and way too many things out of boxes. So it's been really great. Um, you know, I eat vegan and he does not, but we make vegan dishes and so far so good. I'm having are the you best using, time. Are you using any cookbooks that you would recommend? Or are you guys like interneting it? I've been interneting it so far, but I found some amazing recipes that, and he's loved all of them. I think the secret to finding a good recipe that non-vegans will eat is a vegan recipe that other people who are not vegan have already said they enjoyed, basically. Mm. So how like, do you find that? Like veganfoodfornonvegans.tumblr.com? You just kind of search that. There's also like some cookbooks that are like, you know, vegan food for the rest of us and, and stuff like that. So, so far cool. it's been really awesome, delicious. That's, yeah, I love that about about cooking. Like you start with all these separate things and then you put them together into something yeah. delicious. Science! Uh, and it, yeah, I like the science of it. And you can mess around with it some. Like I am not nearly exacting enough in the kitchen to be a baker, um, but I love to cook. That's so exciting. I can't wait to hear more about your cooking adventures. Excellent. I will but now tell you. We, we should keep talking about books. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll do, maybe I'll like pick a cookbook sometime. But Oh yeah, um, you should. I read these two, it's two books. I got a two for today um, because one follows the other and they both come out today and they're so awesome. It's The Black Tides of Heaven and The Red Threads of Fortune by J.Y. Yang. It's a pair of novellas out from Tor.com who just rock it so hard with novellas all the time now. Um, can I just say I read the last Binti novella the other day and it was amazing and I can't <laughs> wait for everyone to read it. Um, but these two, The Black Tides of Heaven followed by The Red Threads of Fortune, so fantastic. They are set in a fantasy land... Um, they are about Makoya and Akia. They are twin children of the protector. The protector of the land is their mother. And she's sort of like an emperor. And she sells them to a monastery, basically to repay a debt or, um, if I'm remembering correctly, like to settle something between them. Um, and it's obvious from the beginning that the twins have special abilities. Makoya is a prophet. They can tell, like, what's going to happen. They have you know, visions. Um, Akia sees the threads of the world. They can kind of, like, tell, like, what's going on and who's attached to what and what to manipulate to make things happen. Um, they know, and they also, as they get older, know that their mother is pretty evil. She's the empress, you know, the protector, but she's not really a good person. Um, and as the twins get older, uh, because Makoya is a prophet, the protector wants them back. Um, just, just Makoya, not Akia. Uh, so, but the, you know, the monastery is fighting her on this, and as the children grow, um, so does the descent in the land, as more and more people decide, like, the protector is, is the big bad. Um, so, Akia ends up joining the rebels, and it breaks Makoya's heart to be away from them. You know, they've always done everything together. They're like another piece. And so when Akoya leaves, you know, they're just so upset. It goes from there, you know, they get older... War comes to the land. Um, in the second one, there's creatures. It's so... It's this fully realized fantasy about politics and family and identity. 
Um, Yang has done an amazing job. They have created this really cool world, and I can't wait to read more from them. Again, it's called The Black Tides of Heaven and The Red Threads of Fortune by J.Y. Yang. Creatures. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, lady. Next sponsor, please. <gasps> That's me. It's my turn. I'm up again. I was, like, taking a drink. I was like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> Our next sponsor <laughs> is The Language of Thorns by Lee Bardugo. And you probably recognize that name because she writes the Grishaverse books. And this is a book inspired by myth, folklore, and fairy tale from the best-selling author Lee Bardugo. She has crafted a deliciously atmospheric collection of short stories filled with betrayals, revenge, sacrifice, and love. It's perfect for new readers and dedicated fans. The tales in The Language of Thorns will transport you to lands both familiar and strange to a fully realized world. Hey, I just said that too. Uh, of dangerous <laughs> magic that millions have visited through the novels of the Grishaverse. So it's, you know, more like if you want more of, you know, the Grishaverse, which I, I'm losing like all the titles out of my head as we speak. Um, but I read uh, it's it's um, I, ha- I have this, but have you seen the cover? The cover is amazing. I don't think I've seen the cover of this. Oh. It's like it's like this sort of electric blue and fluorescent orange, like flowery. It's so awesome. I love it so much. So if you are a big fan or you want to check out something new, it is The Language of Thorns by Lee Bardugo, and we thank them for sponsoring. Awesome. Uh, my next pick this week is super fun. I don't have a ton to say about it because there aren't really any words in the book. It's called Treat! Exclamation point by Christian Veeler, and it is a photo collection, a gorgeous coffee table book of dogs who are anticipating catching or trying to catch their favorite treat. Um, if you've seen those photos of underwater dogs and of like, I think there's a collection called shake that has a bunch of dogs when they're wet and shaking off water. This is sort of in the same vein of those. And it's hilarious. Like I am a dog lover. I just think they're delightful and fun and they make life better. And watching a dog, I mean, I live with a basset hound who was four years old before she learned how to catch a treat. And at that point I had given up hope. Like literally we had spent four years tossing treats at her face and watching them bounce off of her nose um, or her forehead or just fall through the air like a, you know, giant air ball when you're shooting basketball that like I didn't think it was ever going to happen and one day I just sort of like casually tossed her a piece of cheese and she caught it and I was so stunned that I called Bob at work to tell him like the dog has caught a piece of cheese and I wish I had a moment or a picture of that moment and treat is a collection of photos of moments just like that like dogs just looking so happy and enthusiastic so if you are looking for a good coffee table book for your house or We're rolling up towards the holidays, folks, like three months from today when we're recording this show is Christmas. Um, This would be, I think, a great gift for a dog lover in your life. It's just funny and delightful, and we need a lot of that in our lives right now. So it's called Treat by Christian Veeler, and I can't recommend it enough. Did you see that video that was going around a couple weeks ago where the dog Mm. was trying to catch the Frisbee and, like, running to catch it and, like, misses and also, like, hits the camera? At the same time, pretty so awesome. Good. Just the look on its face is like, because uh, they do it in slow motion. It's so funny. <laughs> I want you to call me and narrate Instagram videos of dogs. <laughs> Sold. I will do it. Uh, what's I'm next a dog. for you? I'm this a is dog. your last pick this week. Yes, 
Um, this actually came out a few weeks ago, but I just got a chance to read it this weekend, and I'm so in love with it, I wanted to tell everybody about it because it's adorable and so great. It's called Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus by Dusty Bowling. It's about a 13-year-old girl named Avon Green. She lives in Kansas, she loves soccer, she loves her friends, and she loves telling people wild stories about why she doesn't have arms. Avon was born without arms, but she likes to tell people that she lost them in wrestling crocodiles, you know, and, she, and she's grown up in Kansas her whole life, so all the people that she goes to school with, they all know her. Uh, she, she can do anything that anyone else can do, except she uses her feet, you know, she uses her feet to eat and to write and to do anything. Um, but she gets some bad news. Uh, her dad, who has been out of work for six months, gets a job, and she's going to have to move to Arizona. He's going to be the manager of a Western theme park called Stagecoach Pass, um, and he, he says he has to take the job. So she's really unhappy about this. She has to leave her home. She has to leave her friends. And now she's going to have to get used to the stairs and the questions all over again. Um, but she does make a new friend. His name is Connor, and he has Tourette syndrome. And so he feels similarly isolated because of his unique problem. Uh, so together they kind of support each other as well as try to save Stagecoach Pass because it's doing very poorly. And they also try to solve a mystery that they think that they have found. I have all the heart eyes. My eyes are like big hearts right now just talking about it. <laughs> it's so great. It's so, so funny. Avon is so hilarious. Um, I just I think this would be a great book to read aloud with your kids. It's just really wonderful and also just a wonderful book for adults. Again, it's called Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus by Dusty Bowling. Uh, my last pick this week is also a book that's been out for a little while. It's uh, called Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube. It's a memoir by Blair Braverman. And I'm listening to it on audio because Amanda listened to it and recommended it to me. Um, she said it would ring sort of the Brene Brown bells. And it has done that. It really reminds me more of like Unbound by Steph Jagger, um, books about self-discovery through going to different places, kind of not quite in the same vein as the Comfort Food Diaries, but they're not unsimilar to each other. Unsimilar is word now. Um, so in this memoir, uh, Blair Braverman is talking about how she fell in love with being very far north. When she's in high school, she did a um, an exchange student program in Norway. It didn't go super well. Uh, the father of that family was kind of creepy and weird at her, and she didn't love her time there, but she couldn't get over how much she loved being in those cold, dark places. She learned um, to drive sled dogs, and eventually she moves to Alaska to become a tour guide. And the book moves back and forth in time a little bit between that first experience um, as an Exchange student, and then later on living in Norway, and then also later on living um, and working on a t on a glacier in Alaska. It deals with a lot of th this the core issues, especially that girls face as they b grow up and become young women, figuring out identity. She sort of moves through a phase of um, the Gillian Flynn cool girl ness, but with the tough girl piece added onto it, like she's in a very difficult situation. Um, it's just tough living on a glacier uh, in a lot of senses. It's tough. Um, and one of those ways is that there are not very many women around. Um, so how do you fit in with all of these men? But how do you also stay safe in a situation where there are not a lot of women around? Um, and she definitely feels unsafe and threatened at times. There are trigger warnings. I won't talk about it in detail um, in the segment here. But if you are sensitive to reading descriptions of rape or assault, watch out for that. Um, it took me by surprise while I was driving around uh, listening to it like, oh, that's the 
thing that's happening right now. Um, so she addresses some of those experiences that she had as well, you know, violence that occurs in very far away places um, that are dominated. Uh, like it's a no man's land, but it's literally like just a man's land. Uh, women are not are not very present there. Um, it's a really fascinating and I think carefully done mix of a personal story, but also in the context of self-discovery, of growing up, but doing it in an unconventional way, like living on a glacier, moving away from your friends and family to a very remote place, and how demanding that can be, and then the returns that you get for you know, meeting those demands. Um, I'm really, really glad that I've been listening to it. It's again called Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube, Chasing Fear and Finding Home in the Great White North. It's by Blair Braverman. So we did so, it. We did it. Um, those are the new books this week. Before we talk about what we're going to read next, I just want to remind our lovely listeners about Lit Chat, which is the new card game that we at Book Riot made with the folks at Abrams Notary. Um, it contains 50 gorgeously designed die cut cards. They look like book covers um, and it comes in a gorgeous slip case and each card contains two questions. So you get 100 questions total. That's how math works. Um, to help you have cool conversations with other people who love books as much as you do. So your friends, your book club, your library patrons, your students, whatever. You can get info and pick up your copy at bookriot.com slash lit chat. And last week I gave you a tough question about the worst book that you had ever read. And we talked about both of those. And I did hear from some of you who Googled the cover of Elliot's Banana, so I'm very sorry that I have brought that into your life. Um, but Lib, this week we're going to do a more fun question, I think. It's a little impossible, but it is, what's your favorite book? It's like so <laughs> impossible. Although, if I think about it, you know, it my answer changes occasionally um, from like The Secret History to Cannery Row. But I think the book that I mention the most often is probably The Known World. By mm. Edward P. Jones. But, like, if you ask me again tomorrow, it might be different. I don't know. I was asked by a website a couple of weeks ago to tell them my 10 favorite books, which was seemed, like, impossible at the time. Um, I think I did a pretty good job. But, like, then I was like, oh, but this one, oh, but this one. You know. But it, <laughs> it looked really good. Although it took about 10 minutes for a man to tell me that I was wrong. Like, that my <laughs> favorite books, like, he told me, like... personal taste is yes, incorrect. Yeah, like, yeah. That's what the delete button is for. Um... So what would you say your favorite book is? Ooh, um, man. I hate this question. <laughs> Listen, I did uh, it. The book that I have read more than any other book is Sula by Toni Morrison. Um, because the first time that I read it was at a really formative point in my life and my education. It was my senior year of college. And I still have that copy. And I reread it. Um, I reread a bunch of Toni Morrison every couple of years. I kind of like do a big marathon of them. So I have notes in this copy of uh, like seven different readings of that book now. And it's it's just cool to see what my 22-year-old self thought was interesting and important and where I come to it now at 34. Um, and all the versions of myself in between, some of those things are still resonant. Some of them are really different. I, I, like I feel so attached to the story, but also to this actual physical copy of Sula because of all the things that it represents now. Um, so maybe Sula, uh, maybe also A Prayer for Owen Meany, I really love, um, or The Sparrow was one of the first books that like really blew my mind by Mary Doria Russell. But I don't, 
I don't know, man. It changes. It does change. So, and what about When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams? There's just so many books that have touched me in important ways. But I think if I was really pressed, I could make a very good case for Sula. Yeah. Well, all right then. All right. Good chat. If you, yes, good chat. If you want to have more chat with us and especially with your bookish friends, IRL, you can do it through bookriot.com slash lit chat. We are so excited to have done this and I'm looking forward to making other cool things with Abrams. So stay tuned for that. What are you going to go read now? I'm going to read Dark at the Crossing by Elliot Ackerman, which I don't know anything about, but was on the National Book Award long list last week. Um, and I was like, oh, I have that. So um, it, it looks interesting. It's about war, apparently, as I'm looking at it. So yeah, that's what I'm going to read next. <laughs> what are you going to read next? Uh, I should be reading Nasty Women, which is an essay collection feature, featuring a bunch of great writers. It's coming out next week, and I'm, I am going to have read it by next week. But I was looking at my galley shelves and thinking about what to pack for my flight tonight, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to be able to resist This Will Be My Undoing by Morgan Jerkins any longer. Um, it doesn't come out until, I think, early 2018, but she is an awesome young uh, Black feminist writer, and it's about her life as a young Black feminist woman um, surrounded by a country of white privilege and white feminism. And I've I've loved her work. Um, She wrote for us for a little while at Book Riot, and she's such an awesome lady. Um, I can't wait to read the whole book. I have an add-on on on my Google Chrome called Make Trump Kittens Again. Have you heard of this? Oh, I have that too. (laughs) Yeah, so it takes, you know, photos of Donald Trump and makes it a kitten picture, like on your your search. Mm -hmm. And um, I was looking at the Book Riot new release index the other day and I'm like scrolling down through the covers and there's a kitten. I was like, <laughs> what What book is that? Like, what is that hiding? And it was a, the copy of Nasty Women because it says Trump <laughs> on it. It has the word Trump attached to it somehow. So it made it a kitten. I was like, that's <laughs> funny. I have it too. And it like, it catches weird things sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it does. But like, like trumpets, the word trumpet or like in, in a description or something. But uh-huh. I, I like admire the guy who did it because it was like, he was like, I made this thing. And if you want to PayPal me a little money for using it, you're like, I appreciate it. Um, so when I got it, I was like, okay, I'll do that. And he, when you click on the link, it says, I have enough money. Please no more money. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's like very big of that's, him. That's great. Oh, I just checked it. It's called Make America Kittens Again. Oh, mine says make so, Trump kittens again. Oh, maybe there's two of them then. Yeah. Oh, wait. Cool. May, uh, oh, yeah, maybe that. I don't know. I don't know well, what I'm talking about. That This is just a little added nugget for <laughs> listeners, <laughs> I guess. Thank you to our sponsors, Talenti, Gelato, and Sorbetto to Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to get your free 30-day trial with one of their awesome bras. To the Language of Thorns by Lee Bardugo. And don't forget to check out Lit Chat at bookriot.com slash litchat. If you have something to say to us, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com. That's all the books at bookriot.com. Every week I get emails that are sent to other book Riot email addresses and get forwarded. We will get them faster if you send them to all the books <laughs> at bookriot.com. You can talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you would take a minute to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, we would certainly be appreciative. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime... In the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.